Welcome back to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. Episode 50. Do, do, do. Episode 50. Wow, that's a lot of episodes. Guess what, though? We're not stopping. We're rolling all the way through. And we got an unbelievable episode for you guys today. It's going to be basically all NFL. Basically, all NFL reactions. So much stuff has just gone on in the nfl right coaches getting fired quarterbacks getting benched different scenarios unfolding for the postseason and at the end of the day we're experiencing two different nfls and i'll explain what that means but otherwise hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 50 of the phenomenal fan podcast and let's get into it The Phenomenal Fan Podcast, a podcast by the fan, for the fan. Episode 50, here we go, baby. Here we go. Phenomenal Fan Podcast, episode 50. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Hopefully you guys are going to share some of the <clears throat> opinions that I have in this episode. Uh, because we're going to be talking basically strictly NFL. Not much has gone on in baseball. The only things sort of going on in basketball, Luka Doncic put up a 60-point triple-double with 19 rebounds last night. He's a freak. Jokic is putting up big numbers. But otherwise, man, it's the regular season in the NBA. It's not... There's not a ton there to dive into. It just is what it is. There's some good teams. There's some bad teams. But nevertheless, man, we got a great episode today because... We're exclusively talking football, and thank God we are, because the NFL has been bananas. After this episode, by the way, next week's episode, we're going to dive into the college football playoff, because by this time next week, the championship matchup will be set for the college football playoff. This upcoming weekend, obviously, number three, TCU, taking on number two, Michigan. Number four, Ohio State, taking on number one, Georgia. Looking for spread, looking at the spreads. Michigan's favored by seven and a half. Georgia's favored by six and a half. If I'm a betting man, which I am a betting man. But if I had to make my best picks for the college football playoff. My picks are Michigan outlasts TCU in a close High scoring game in the 30s. I'm thinking somewhere to 33 to 30 Michigan. Just with the experience, the coaching, Michigan on defense is a little bit, little bit more stout than TCU's defense. And the Georgia Ohio State matchup, I'm taking Georgia to win that game 
by at least two touchdowns, maybe three. I have a Georgia and Michigan matchup in the national championship. Ultimately, Georgia is not going to get beat. They're not going to get beat by anybody. So for TCU and Michigan, that's, that's going to be a good game. It's going to be a battle. I personally hope TCU wins, but I just think Michigan is slightly better. But I think the game's going to be super close and very entertaining. I think Michigan has the edge. They've been in the college football playoff literally last year. Harbaugh, a little bit more experience. The defense is a little bit better. Ultimately, defense is what wins championships. TCU's defense is not great. Their offense is good, which is why I think they'll score on Michigan. I just think Michigan will have the slight edge. Michigan's favored by seven and a half. I'm taking TCU on the points. Uh, TCU is a seven and a half point underdog. is a little bit too big for me, especially seven and a half, right? So if I'm a betting man, I take TCU plus seven and a half, but I take Michigan to win the game. And on the, on the late slate, Georgia, Ohio State, one versus four. Georgia's favored by six and a half. I, I don't know how that could possibly be. Georgia is infinitely better than Ohio State. Half of Ohio State's team isn't playing. Georgia is going to destroy Ohio State. Destroy them when it's all said and done. Absolutely obliterate them in all facets of the game. The game is in Atlanta. It's going to be a Georgia home game. Ohio State, almost to me, seems like they don't even like want to be there. Half their guys are sitting out. Uh, you know, they didn't win the Big Ten. It's just a lot of, uh, I don't even know if they feel like they deserve to be there. The last football game they played as a team was well over a month ago by the time this game's going to be played. And when they played that game, they got destroyed by Michigan. Destroyed. So I think Ohio State is probably going to show up. They're probably going to go through. Georgia's going to force like three, at least three turnovers in this game. At least. Honestly. Georgia's defense is unbelievable. Ohio State's defense is not great. They gave up 40-plus to the only team that actually had a legitimate offensive chance against them, which was Michigan. And Georgia's offense is very good. Stetson Bennett is a really good quarterback. Solid. He's not a Heisman Trophy winner. He's a finalist, even though he shouldn't have been. So I see Georgia boat racing Ohio State. I see Michigan slightly edging out TCU. I hope TCU wins, but Michigan's slightly edging out TCU. And if Georgia and Michigan play in the national championship, I would imagine Georgia would be favored. I would guess, again, by probably four and a half, maybe five and a half. Take Georgia, take the points. Georgia's really good. Uh, they, they have a defense that doesn't let up. They don't give up points. They pressure the quarterback. They cover tight ends. They stop the run. The secondary shuts down the top offensive threat for most opposing teams. I don't know what to tell you. Georgia is just a great football team. And I think there's a chance in this game. It'll be like a lot of Georgia's games where it'll be like 13 to six Georgia at half. And people are like, man, Ohio State, man, like they're hanging in. They're right there. Seven points. And then 13 to six at half turns into. 37 to 14 
final. Georgia wins. Like, that's how a lot of their games have gone this year. So Georgia's going to beat Ohio State. Michigan's going to edge, edge, edge out TCU. I hope it doesn't happen, but that's just my prediction. And then Georgia's going to go on to win back-to-back natties. So what's going to happen? I hate to break it to you. But I guess that's not a guarantee because anything can happen and will happen. But I think the Michigan-TCU game is the game of the day. December uh, 31st, New Year's Eve, right? You got Alabama and Kansas State. I mean, uh, roll tide. Love Bama. Going to be watching, but couldn't give a shit. Iowa and Kentucky, I don't. <laughs> Trans-perfect Music City Bowl. Uh, punch me in the face. CFP semifinal Fiesta Bowl in Glendale. That is, talk about a entirely neutral site. Michigan, TCU, completely neutral in Arizona. Two teams coming off of high performance. I mean, TCU, I guess, is coming off of a loss, but man, Max Duggan has the heart, has the grit. I, I hope it's TCU. I like the underdogs. I just, I think Michigan's just a, just a touch better, three points better. So Michigan beats TCU, Georgia beats Ohio State, Georgia beats Michigan, Georgia's back-to-back champions. It is what it is. Okay, moving on to the NFL, like we talked about. Recapping the last week that's gone on and the storylines that have developed since then, Jags beat the Jets 19-3 on Thursday night football. Don't care. Takeaways from this game. Zach Wilson stinks and doesn't really care that he stinks. And that's what's the most infuriating thing about Zach Wilson. I think most people are sitting there like, you know, yeah, Zach Wilson's not very good. But when the Jags beat the Jets 19 to 3, and the weeks leading before that, Zach Wilson didn't play well. Got benched, sort of, with an injury, but got benched to Mike White, uh, who came in and played his guts out for the Jets, battling, diving, taking absolutely monster shots in the backfield on these throws, standing in the pocket, winning football games for the Jets. Well, actually, the Jets have been on a bit of a skid. But Zach Wilson, when he comes back or when they were struggling, and he's the reason why, because he's not playing well at quarterback, they scored three points, whatever it was against, I think it was New England. And he sits there and gets questions asked to him like, hey, do you think you feel like, you know, you feel like you let your defense down scoring three points the entire game? And he's like, nah, not really. That rubs a lot of people the wrong way. A lot of people the wrong way. So if you're Zach Wilson... Well, first of all, apparently after this game, he's benched again. Mike White is eligible to play half. Most of the reason why Zach Wilson, I think the entire reason why Zach Wilson was playing is because Mike White wasn't available. So Mike White's back in for this upcoming week. Zach Wilson stinks. That's the takeaway from that game. Bunch of Saturday games this weekend with Christmas obviously being on Sunday. Bills beat the Bears 35 to 13. I mean, you know, Bears defense isn't good. Bills defense is Bills put up 35 ran all over the Bears and the Bills are I mean the Bills are a really good team I I, you know I think they may run into some issues but I think if the Bills can hold on to that number one seed 
I think it's their conference to lose. It's their conference to to not take, right? I mean, they get a, a first round bye with the one seed. Then they get a home playoff game, another home playoff game. Buffalo, just in any time after November, is such a home field advantage, right? I mean, for these opposing teams, got to fly all the way, not just to New York, but New York, but upstate New York. Get into a stadium outdoors, absolutely butt-ass cold, frozen, don't know the stadium very well, right? And it's so it's loud, it's great home field advantage for a team like the Bills. So if the Bills can secure that number one seed and win out the rest of the way, which I, I think because of right now they are the one seed. I'm not entirely sure what the tiebreaker is, but I know for sure they're the one seed. The Bills, it's their conference to lose if they if they hold on to that one seed. Saints beat the Browns 17 to 10. Storylines from this game. I mean, it was cold, it was snowy, uh, low scoring game. Browns aren't great. Deshaun Watson's not great. The Saints, somehow, by a miracle of God, are still in playoff contention. Sitting at six and nine. That's ridiculous. Chiefs played the Seahawks and beat them 24 to 10. Chiefs are good. Again, everybody knows that. They're 6-1 and one at home. Same, same type of thing with the Chiefs. Home field advantage, super important for them. Helps them get back into football games if they get down. Gives them that extra boost to put teams away and bury them. So between the Chiefs and the Bills, whoever ends up taking that conference is really, uh, I think, is going to be the team that takes the AFC. Uh, let's see. And the Seahawks also, by the way, seven and eight. They're not completely out of it. Good for them, man. Either way. I mean, if they, if they finish the year with seven wins, that's, that's probably three or four more wins than most people pegged them to get. So four and four away. Like that's not, that's not a bad away record. Uh, Vikings beat the giants 27 to 24. I don't know how many more games the Vikings are going to win by less than a touchdown, but it's certainly not sustainable. And I've been open and deliberate about the Vikings and how I think they're very fraudulent. And what I mean by that is, again, and we've said this before, the defensive rankings for the Vikings, the, the metrics, the numbers, nothing about the way they perform on defense tells me that they are even remotely a Super Bowl contender. 12 and 3. That's a great record, right? I mean, that's among the best in the NFL. 8-1 at home, but they've played all their home games. They're done playing at home. Now this, now they got to go on the road in Green Bay, on the road in Chicago. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they lose both of those games. And now they're probably going to prove me wrong. They're probably going to beat them in some gritty, uh, you know, one-score one performance. But Green Bay is favored in this game by three and a half. That right there should show you how is a seven and eight Green Bay Packers team favored over a 12 and three Minnesota Vikings team. Maybe that's just factoring in Aaron Rodgers in December and how absolutely goaded he is. Uh, well, I guess technically it's New Year's Day. Either way, they got Packers and Bears on the road to end the season. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they won that game or if uh, they lost both, I should say. That the Vikings have weapons on offense. Nobody is disputing that. But even in this in this game, 
right? You look at the passing stats and the passing yardage. Uh, you know, Daniel Jones throws for more yards than Kirk Cousins. Saquon Barkley runs for more yards than Dalvin Cook. Uh, the Giants get, uh, have 126 rushing yards and 334 passing yards. So they had more rushing yards, more receiving yards. And they just, I guess the Vikings defense, maybe the red zone. <laughs> I don't know. But the Vikings seem to have, you know, maybe that is in their favor. Maybe it is. Maybe it's in their favor this year that they have a little bit of that magic, right? That late game heroics. And that's a st certainly a statistic that you can't, you can't quantify uh, clutch in some capacities. I mean, in some, some ways you can, right? But a lot of times these teams have this inkling or this capability of just coming back uh, and holding on to leads right at the end of the game. I mean, even look at Minnesota. They put up seven in the first quarter, three in the second quarter, get shut out in the third quarter, and then they put up 17 in the fourth and win by three on a walk-off field goal. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a good thing for them to have. I just don't think it's sustainable. So we'll see about the Vikings, but they take down the Giants 27-24. Bengals beat the Patriots 22 to 18. Bengals are good. I mean, like, I don't know what you want me to say. Joe Burrow's a freak. He threw the ball 52 times, which is a, a ton, but he went 40 for 52 with 375 and three touchdowns. I mean, that's just stupid. Burrow's amazing. Panthers beat the Lions 37 23. Uh, nothing about that surprises me. Lions defense is terrible. I think the only big thing from this game was that the Carolina Panthers rushed for 320 yards. That is just unbelievable and not really getting a lot of rap because it's a game between two teams that aren't, you know, big market superstar teams. So uh, I think the Panthers also still in contention technically in the postseason at six and nine. Ridiculous. Ravens beat the Falcons 17 to nine. Without Lamar Jackson, the Ravens continue to win football games. I don't know how. I don't know why. Doesn't make any sense. But I guess the Ravens uh, are good enough. I mean, the, the the recipe for success in the NFL is sustainable defense and just enough points to win for the most part. Typically, if you have good defense, which the Ravens do. They also played a bad team in the Falcons. Uh... Texans beat the Titans 19 to 14. The Titans are screwed. Uh, the Titans sit at seven and eight and still have a shot to get into the postseason. But as of right now, Jacksonville leads the AFC South uh, tied with the Texans at seven and eight. Texans don't have Tannehill. Malik Wills. He's bad. I mean, he's really bad. Bad quarterback, bad decision-making. Um, just doesn't look comfortable, and it's not like he's even... I mean, he's under pressure sometimes, but, I mean, misses easy throws. Like, it's 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 just not a good look. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, 49ers beat the Commanders 37-20. 49ers are a juggernaut, dude. Brock Purdy doesn't even have to play good, even though he didn't play fine. I mean, 15 for 22, 234, and two touchdowns. He doesn't even have to be good. We've talked about this. He just has to show up and complete a few passes, and they will win. That just is what it is. 
the last two games of the Saturday slate provided what was some of the bigger storylines, at least in my opinion. Cowboys played the Eagles in Dallas without Jalen Hurts. The Eagles didn't have Jalen Hurts. Gardner Minshew goes 24 for 40, 355 yards and two touchdowns. Cowboys beat the Eagles 40 to 34, right? Now, injuries are part of the game, part of the season. They, they happen, right? Eagles lose their second game of the year. But to me, the storyline is the superstar, uh, these superstar loaded Cowboys, these gauntlet Cowboys, these guys, this team is so good. And they give up 34 to Gardner Minshew and the Eagles. And on top of it, they only beat the Eagles by six points when it seemed to me like most people. Th- I mean, the Cowboys fans, at least, or, or Cowboys defenders, like, well, they're almost the same team or this and that. And then if they're almost the same team and then they, you know, the Eagles lose a guy like Jalen Hurts, the Cowboys should have won by more. So at home, only beating the Eagles by six points. You go in Philadelphia, which is what it's most likely going to have to be for the Cowboys if they go through the postseason and play the Eagles again. It's going to be in Philly and it's going to be with Jalen Hurts. What's the story there? I mean, that's going to be an Eagles win, and it's going to be 37 to 20. I mean, it's going to be a pretty resounding victory. So I don't know. I don't know what to say for the Cowboys. We've talked about them as well. They're, they're pretty fraudulent. I mean, good win for them, I guess. Keeps them in the hunt, and I guess it's a game they should have, you know, they should win. But they, you know, they go 8-1 and one at home. I mean, that's really good. Um, but you know, I, I don't see them going anywhere. I mean, they don't look great. Uh, they give up. They give up, like I said, 355 in passing yards to Gardner Minshew. They give up 87 rushing. I mean, it's just they just don't look great. I mean, their defense isn't very good, even though in some some metrics, some categories. Yeah, they get sacks and some tackle for losses and stuff like that. But uh, uh, Cowboys just ugly ugly to me the last game on saturday steelers and raiders okay the steelers beat the raiders 13 to 10 steelers scored three points for the through the first three quarters of the game they kick a field goal in the fourth quarter to make it uh what was then 10 to 6 here's how Here's how the Pittsburgh Steelers drives went during the game. Punt. This is from the starting in the first quarter. Punt, missed field goal, field goal, end of half. They had the ball three times in the first half of the, of, uh, the game. Second half, they get the ball. Interception, missed field goal, punt, field goal, punt. They get the ball back with two, oh, 255 left in the game. And they march down the field, 10 plays, 76 yards, and they score a touchdown. Uh, the Raiders. The Raiders have this innate ability to choke so hard, so hard, so consistently. 
it's almost hard to believe. It, it really is hard to believe sometimes, you know, but it's also not because I sit back and I was watching that game in the fourth quarter. Pittsburgh gets the ball back with 255. And I looked to the people around me as we we're watching the game. And I said, the Raiders are absolutely going to find a way to lose this game. Absolutely. No doubt about it. They're just going to lose. And they did. And you start to think about, okay, well, where's the blame fall, right? Their defense, it's not great. They give up 106 rushing yards. They give up 244 yards passing to a guy like Kenny Pickett. Now, it was a cold day. There was a cold night, I should say, in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had, you know, the home field advantage, all that different stuff. But. No matter what, the Raiders' innate ability to choke games away is absolutely unbelievable. The Raiders always find ways to lose games. Always. They're always playing in close games. They're always battling. Derek Carr, I feel like every Raiders game that I tune into in the fourth quarter, Derek Carr's got the ball back in the fourth quarter. Like, he's got to find his way down. He's got to do whatever. He's got to scramble. He's got to throw on the run, do all these crazy plays. Sometimes it ends up working out for him. but. A lot of times he ends up throwing that game losing pick in a, a bit of a desperation heave towards the end of the game when they're losing and had just given up the lead. Derek Carr goes 16 for 30 for 174 yards, a touchdown, three picks, three picks, and a 42.2 quarterback rating. 42.2, or I should say passer rating because QBR is a different stat. QBR is a 20.2, and QBR is out of 100. He gets a 20.2 QBR. Passer rating, I think, is like 158.3, and he gets 42. And Kenny Pickett out of 81 passer rating. Like, that's not great either at all. But Derek Carr, 42? 42? And you start to look through Derek Carr's stats because he's been in the league a really long time. And you look at the, the, the passer rating, of some of the games this season 20.2 against pittsburgh 45 against new england 40 against the rams 55 against the chargers this season in total oh i'm sorry i was reading off quarterback rating but that's quarterback rating and none of those are good either because those are out of 100 as far as passer rating 42 against pittsburgh 86 against the, the patriots 36.9 passer rating against the rams this year his total or averaged out passer rating is 86.3 86.3 if we look at offensive passing leaders in the nfl and we go by quarterback ra or passer rating i keep calling it quarterback rating i know quarterback rating is different than passer rating but passer rating is, is a normal statistic that's at measured for quarterbacks and we look at where Derek Carr ranks in the league he's 26th in passer rating here's some quarterbacks above him Marcus Mariota Jacoby Brissett Taylor Heineke Andy Dalton Ryan Tannehill those are not guys that should be ahead of a guy like Derek Carr for as much kind of praise as he gets i guess and for the type of receivers that he has on the team that he's playing for 
and I think the contract that he's got too, Derek Carr should not be putting up those types of numbers. And so when you look back at it and you go, well, oh, they gave up the game-losing drive to Pittsburgh. They gave up what was ending up being the, the drive that led to the points that lost the game for the Raiders. Now, the Raiders' defense gave up 13 points. You need to win football games when you give up 13 as a defense. Your offense should be able to put up more than that with a guy like Devontae Adams, a running back like Josh Jacobs, a tight end like Darren Waller, all available and healthy as offensive weapons on your team. Now, oh, they, they double-teamed Devontae. We couldn't throw it to him. Great, throw to Darren Waller. Great, throw to Hunter Renfro. Great, throw to uh, Matt Collins and all these other guys. Run the ball with Josh Jacobs. But how is it that none of it works? None of it works. And yeah, Pittsburgh's got a really good defense. But Derek Carr, simply put, is not the guy that's going to lead them to the promised land. If that's where they want to go. And guess what happens? Derek Carr gets benched by the Raiders organization, by Josh McDaniels, and by basically the team, right? I mean, uh, the word is the word is that they want to give Jared Stidham, I guess, a look on offense for the final two games, see what he's like, see if they have a future with him, see if they have any potential with him. But it's also a situation where Josh McDaniels is probably trying to save his job as a head coach, right? They've talked about how McDaniels, you know, is he on the hot seat? Is he going to get fired? This and that. The ownership of the Raiders has come out and said, we're going to give McDaniels this year and next year. If it doesn't improve, obviously, we're not going to be... Uh, we're not going to be moving on with Derek Carr. We're not going to be using Derek Carr. Uh, and we're not going to be using Josh McDaniels. So when they come out and they say, we're going to give the coach a year, we're going to let him play, we're going to let him do whatever he need, uh, you know, does as a coach, because it's going to take more than maybe just a year to start gelling with the team and the play calling and getting everybody on the same page. McDaniels takes that, runs with it, and says, you know what, Derek Carr, not going to be our guy, potentially. Let's see what Jared Stidham's got. Derek Carr leads the league in interceptions through three in the loss against Pittsburgh and just has not played well in the past weeks. I think officially they've been eliminated from postseason contention. But man, Derek Carr, I mean, bruh, bruh, not good. Not good at all. Do I think he deserves it? Do I think he should stay on the bench, especially for parts of early next year? No, I don't think he deserves it. I think he battles his ass off. I think he's part of an organization that is consistently towards the bottom and the butt of the joke and doesn't have a ton of offensive line protection and doesn't have a defense that plays very well. And the guy battles a lot. But when it push comes to shove and it comes down to what it takes in the NFL. It's just like every other professional sports league. It's a results-based business and bottom line, plain and simple, Derek Carr is not getting the results that the league demands of a quarterback, right? I think he, you know, he's in some cases, especially when he's had some comeback performances and some certain glimpses of, of high levels of production in his career, 
people have started to put him in that that not the top tier right not even maybe the second tier but like that third tier that b plus sort of a minus area of Kirk cousins and uh you know jared goff like those types of guys and he's sort of taking himself out of that so he's benched that's the storyline Derek carr you know i feel bad for him but at the same time i you know he's a grown man he can handle it he'll be fine and when a push comes to shove also they're going to realize quickly having seen what jared stidham has to offer as a quarterback Derek carr is the better option he is absolutely the better option at quarterback. But maybe the Raiders go completely a different direction and they get rid of Stidham and they get rid of Derek Carr or they keep Jared Stidham as a backup, make a trade for another quarterback. Maybe they go after Aaron Rodgers. Maybe Rodgers wants to play, uh, you know, in Vegas, back reunited with Devontae Adams. If I'm the Raiders... I do everything I can to pick up a guy like Aaron Rodgers who will be available, especially having seen the way the Packers go about their business with Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love coming in, having production at the time, you know, during the parts of the season that he has to come in and play. And the Packers aren't going to want to keep Aaron Rodgers. So maybe... What the Raiders do is they sign Aaron Rodgers to a contract, a two-year deal. They trade Derek Carr to a team that's looking to get more production out of the quarterback position. They load up a little bit on draft picks, and Aaron Rodgers is reunited with Devontae Adams in Las Vegas. I think that's the best thing that the uh, Raiders can do as a franchise. It would work out great for them. It would certainly boost their ticket sales. It would boost a lot of different things. And... You wouldn't have some of the other struggles that these other teams are having when they added new quarterbacks to a system because you know that at the end of the day, the default, the the thing that everybody's going to fall back on in that system is Rodgers to, to Devontae. They've played a ton of games together. They've been together a ton. They know each other really well. And I think that that would work great because if the Raiders are looking to actually compete at a high level, utilize all their weapons, Darren Waller, I mean, it's perfect. Rodgers is going to get all his weapons back of Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs and Mac Hollins and Devontae Adams. And the other team that gets Derek Carr is going to have to give up a few draft picks. So the Raiders are going to get some picks in return, maybe dump some salary too, depending on what Derek Carr's contract situation would look like after that. I think it's a perfect matchup. I think it's perfect. So we'll see what Derek Carr, I like the guy. You know, I think he battles. We've seen him, you know, crying in press conferences and things like that. But at the end of the day, you got to put out results, and he hasn't put out results. Moving out of the Sunday games in the NFL. It started in the morning with who we just talked about, the Packers and the Dolphins. Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay is still alive. Seven and eight, they beat the Dolphins. Tua doesn't look great, throws three picks. All of them were yeesh, not good. Like wildly just like bad, bad throws. Bad throws, right?
Rodgers has an okay game. 238, a touchdown, a pick. But at the end of the day, Green Bay forces enough turnovers to essentially win them the game. Dolphins dropped eight and seven. They're still in the playoff mix. Sunday night, Buccaneers play the Cardinals. Bucks beat them. Tom Brady. I mean, he's not good. His numbers aren't good. The Bucks offense isn't good. What's infuriating about Tom Brady? Infuriating is some of the teams and games that he's played and how he's performed and the fact that their team has still won these games and the the, the schedule that he has to he gets to play. I, I mean, that division is so bad, so bad. The Bucks are seven and eight in their first place in the division. Right? They played the Saints twice and beat them by ten and by one. They played the Falcons twice. Well, they played them once. They're going to play them uh, in the last week of the season. They played the Panthers and lost 21 to three. I mean, they played the Rams, beat them by three. Uh, they played the Cardinals without Kyler Murray, beat them by three. Every time they played a good team that's fundamentally sound and has shit figured out, the Chiefs got spanked by the Chiefs. 49ers got spanked by the 49ers. Played the Bengals. Got spanked by the Bengals. Played the Ravens. Lost. They just don't have a good record. They're not a good football team. And I said that before, and everyone's like, uh, don't, don't count out Tom Brady. Don't count him out. <sighs> Still Tom Brady. Gets into the postseason, man. He's going to run the table. Bucks, if they get in the playoffs, home game or not, in the first round, they're going to get murdered because they're going to have to play an actual good football team, and then they're going to lose because every time they played a good team this year, with everybody healthy, they've gotten spanked. They have a horrible division. Their schedule is one of the easiest in the NFL, and they've pretty much gotten lucky with everything they've dealt with this year. And they sit at first place, and they're a game under 500. The Bucks are going to get destroyed in the first round of the playoffs. And everyone's going to go, oh, my gosh, like, what a, what a shock, Tom Brady. No, Brady should have retired three years ago anyways after he won his first Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. And he looks like shit. They can't score any points, and they're beating bad teams. First round of the playoffs, they're going to have to play Dallas, probably. At home, Cowboys are going to beat them. That's what's going to happen. Bucks poop. Monday night, Chargers beat the Colts 23. Chargers are in the postseason. Good for Herbert, man. He certainly deserves it. He's a primetime performer. He's a really good football player. Uh, Colts stink. I mean, they're in complete shambles. They try to resort to Nick Foles as if that's going to solve any issues. Um, but they stink. And Chargers in the playoffs. Good for them. Uh, the game, the game that I saved for last to talk about here was Sunday afternoon. The Rams beat the Broncos 51 to 14. 51 to 14. 51 
for the LA Rams and Baker Mayfield to 14. After the game's over, well, I guess I should say the following day, Monday morning, the Broncos fire their head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. Reports start coming out and like rumors and little storylines. Russell Wilson gets traded over. He gets traded over and right away, everybody is so hyped because Russell Wilson, a B-tier quarterback, is coming to the Broncos in a trade with the Seattle Seahawks. The Broncos give up all these picks. They go crazy. Everybody's super excited. There's nobody in the Broncos organization, nobody in the fan base that's not going to tell you they were absolutely thrilled about Russell Wilson coming over from the Seattle Seahawks, okay? He comes over and instantly gets kinged. He gets crowned the royal status and the royal treatment by the Broncos organization as a whole, right? Nathaniel Hackett, new head coach. Russell Wilson, new quarterback. New offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. Now, halfway through the season, new ownership for the Broncos. A lot of things are changing. The problem that Russell Wilson got himself into is once he was crowned king of the organization, king of the franchise, the expectations for him are so high and even more so, are magnified and emphasized because of the dog shit that the Broncos organization has had to deal with at the quarterback position since they won the Super Bowl. And the mistake that the Broncos made, that the fans made, that Nathaniel Hackett made, is that they trade for a high-level guy, and they're instantly like, well, let's just throw him in the shotgun He's got all the weapons he needs on the outside with his receivers. It's going to be instant success. These guys are going to run 35 yards down the field. They'll always be open. Russ is going to hit him on every throw. Russell Wilson is not Tom Brady type quarterback. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Josh Allen. He's not Patrick Mahomes. All of those guys can hit a bucket-sized target from 35, 40 yards away. Russell Wilson sometimes can, but he's more about making throws on the run, complementing what the success points are in the run game. He was never the shotgun, drop back, dotting quarterback in the uh, offensive scheme in Seattle. He was never that guy. He's five foot ten. How could he be that guy? The rest of the guys I just listed and talked about that are obviously all very good in the NFL, Mahomes, Allen, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, they're all like 6'3 plus. The only exception might be Mahomes, but he has such a rifle arm with ridiculous accuracy that he falls into the same category, obviously, as those elite of the elite guys. And Russell Wilson was never that guy in Seattle. On top of all that, 
Russell Wilson in Seattle was never, ever, ever, ever the guy that was the leader of the group, the biggest voice, the biggest personality, the fallback, right? What he was was very reliable, accurate, easy to, you know, trust in a lot of situations because he can roll outside the pocket and make a really good throw. He understood the assignments. He understood defense. And he was talented. Nobody disputed that. He had a great arm. He throws an unbelievable arcing deep ball. But this year clearly shows why there may have been some butting of the heads in Seattle, especially when it came down to Pete Carroll and the, the times during the season when they would struggle. Especially towards the end of the career or, or Towards the end of his time in Seattle with Russell Wilson, there was some rumors about Pete Carroll and Russ not getting along. Nothing goes well when the teams aren't playing well. And that's another point. Everything, everything. I mean, the way he walks out of the tunnel, the way he addresses questions, the way he talks to his teammates, the way he walks off the field after a drive, the way he walks on the field after a drive, the way he's calling plays, how he calls play, everything is magnified and put under a microscope when things are going really bad. Everything. Whose fault is it? Well, it, could he be talking, answering questions a little bit better? Now, it, everything's magnified. So when things are going well, people start to notice, which may have been why things didn't go well in Seattle, but people start to notice who Russell Wilson really is. And that's not that he's this horrible dude, terrible teammate. It's that his style of going about leadership, his style of communication, his approach to adversity, it's his way of handling it, but it's a way of handling it that does not resonate well with almost anybody else. And that is shown clearly when you start to see footage about, you know, the bad body language from his teammates, his defensive players coming off the field and screaming at him to his face, his offensive linemen not helping him up after he gets sacked. These guys don't want to play for him. Russell Wilson's teammates don't want to play for him or with him. And a lot of people are ready to give up on Russell Wilson already. Like he's toast. It's a terrible contract. The Broncos made a terrible decision. What are they doing? The only thing Russell Wilson needs to focus on next year is changing his approach about how he goes about things and his leadership skills and winning football games no matter what it takes no matter what it takes if that means the broncos need to run the football 55 times a game next year then so be it if that means they need to get rid of the ball under shot uh, under center as a quarterback if that means he needs to go under center every single play get the ball out and throw a screen or a slant because he's getting sacked more than anybody in the nfl i don't know how some people can't look at the situation and realize whether it's one person's fault or another that he's holding on to the ball too 
long. Which team has allowed the most sacks in the NFL this season? Denver Broncos at 57. Quick math, 57 divided by 15 games played. That's just under four sacks a game. Just under four sacks a game. It's the most in the NFL. Hmm. Let's take a step back and look at things from a very rudimentary NFL approach. A quarterback's getting sacked a lot typically can be explained with a few different contributing factors. Number one, the offensive line is not blocking properly. That could potentially be part of it. Garrett Bowles plays left tackle for the Denver Broncos, tore his ACL, and has not been there for a lot of the year. The Broncos offensive line is not very good. Number two, the quarterback is holding on to the ball too long. Hmm, that's also true. Anybody with a brain, including myself, that has watched every, pretty much every play of every Broncos game this year can tell you Russell Wilson isn't a shotgun five-step drop quarterback. He can be in certain situations. But look what happened when he was heavily relied on in a crucial situation. What happened in the Super Bowl? He dropped back, went to his first read, threw the slant on what would have been the pick play. Patriots were prepared for it, interception. And that moment with Russell Wilson epitomizes what he honestly is as a quarterback and what he needs to get out of moving forward. And that is he needs to step up whoever is calling plays. It's clear that it's not working because he's getting sacked a bunch. Their offensive numbers are disgustingly low, terrible in all categories. And when you look at the other quarterbacks that are getting the same amount of money that he is getting compared to that are winning football games, those quarterbacks step up and are a crucial part. They're a crucial part of the play calling, the offensive scheme, and all of those different things. It's almost like Russell Wilson came over a smaller, more athletic, kind of a deep ball throwing quarterback, but they're like, well, oh, Cool, we got a good quarterback. Let's put him in the shotgun and have five-step drops with 30-yard post routes and out routes every single play. That's just not who he is as a quarterback. That's not how he's had success in his career. So who does, that, who does the blame fall on? Well, of course, it falls on the play callers. It falls on Hackett. Hackett did not deserve and clearly did not demonstrate what it meant to be a, a, an actual legitimate head coach in the NFL. But on top of it, Russell Wilson, at some point during this season, it, it was clear that he wasn't comfortable enough to step up and say, hey, these plays aren't working. Uh, I love being under center. I love doing the play. I, you know, I love running play action. I like hitting guys open across the middle. I like hitting guys quick. We got a guy like Jerry Judy who can burn people on the outside, runs incredible routes, and when he gets the ball in his hands, usually runs for an extra 10, 15, 20 yards because he's quick. So let's roll with Jerry Judy. Let's roll with this. 
it was clear from the onset that he had absolutely almost no say in what was going on in the offense, whether that was his fault or not. Moving forward, Russ needs to step up. Russ needs to say, guys, this is how it's going to be. Play call comes in the headset. X gat double slant fucking spider two Y banana. And the play is a deep uh, three receivers wide. Cortland Sutton's running a streak down the sideline. Jerry Judy's running a 25 yard post route. And his other receiver is running a fifth, a 15 yard uh, in route. All of which these routes are taking five seconds to develop. Russ needs to step in and go, uh, nope, we're not running that play. Quick slant. Quick slant from the outside. This guy's running a hitch route uh, as a slot receiver. And then the outside receiver on the left can run an in route, but it's an eight-yard in route. It's not a 15-yard, five-second developing in route, especially against zone coverage with two linebackers dropping in coverage. Not going to work, guys. It's not going to work. He needs to step up and be that guy. He needs to be the dude that makes the play call. And then on top of it, Russell Wilson needs to stop being so goddamn cringe all the time. And apparently the issues are with his teammates. He's got like three parking spots. He's got his own private office. He's been crowned the king of the organization. He needs to humble himself a little bit, step down, take a little bit off of what is the royal treatment he's getting. And, and relate a little bit more with his teammates because there is nothing about Russell Wilson that relates with his teammates. So it's no wonder they're screaming at him. It's no wonder they don't want to play for the guy. Nothing about what he's done this year off the field and most of the stuff on the field relates to them as football players. These guys are rough and tough, nitty gritty, physical contact sport, injured, banged up. Russell Wilson is sitting there with his eyes closed, spinning in circles in the middle of the field, right? Nobody's going to be questioning his religious beliefs or whatever. But he's over there after games getting asked, like, how does it feel to lose? Man, the offense is struggling. Yeah, man, you know, I think we just got to, uh, we just got to put our faith in each other. Uh, we just got to, you know, uh, got to keep, keep sticking with it. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think things will end up working out. No, Russ, they won't. They won't work out and they haven't worked out and I'm not just going to stick to the grind when the grind has led to five games in a row to start the season of record low offensive production for this organization. And we are last in the league in every offensive category. How about something needs to change? And when he's super cringe, he doesn't demand respect from anybody. And he continues to just sit back there and get pummeled over and over. Doesn't step up. Doesn't make himself a bigger part of the play calling scheme. And gets crowned a king of the Broncos organization. Gets his own office. Gets extra parking spots. That stuff will start to rub people really poorly. It'll start to rub a lot of guys the wrong way. And on top of everything... Like I said at the beginning, on top of it all, everything gets magnified when the team's not playing well. Everything gets magnified when the team plays like shit. Everything. The way the guy walks, the way he talks, every time he chooses to do anything, especially during game day, on the field, in the tunnel, warm-ups, 
it's all going to be magnified. If he's out there, you know, Mr. Unlimited, all these different things. Yeah, you know, oh man, Russ, that's it's pretty cringe, man. It's pretty cringe. But we're 10 and 5. So, I mean, whatever works, right? That's always what you hear. Man, I don't know, man. Josh Allen, dude, that guy takes some shots. He puts his body on the line. He throws kind of some bad balls. Well, Bills are 10 and 3, so I guess whatever works. I mean, that's literally the extent of most of these conversations. Is it sustainable? Most people, I mean, I don't know, right? Josh Allen taking these giant hits, getting smoked. I don't know. I don't know if it's sustainable or not, but what I do know is that they're 12 and 3. With the Broncos, it's like, Russ, stick to it, man. Stick to the grind. Keep working as a group, as a unit. You know, things will work out. But they haven't worked out. So Russ needs to step up as a man, step up as a leader, and prioritize getting his relationships with his teammates repaired and foundationally strong from the onset so that these guys are going to want to play for him and that he's not already at a disadvantage when the game starts. He needs to step up as a contributor on offense, and he needs to give more to the team and the organization and receive less. He needs to give up that office that he apparently has all to himself at the team facility. He needs to give up the parking spaces. He needs to give up the triple lockers. Humble himself, because guess what? Take all that other stuff away, he's still getting 50-plus million bucks a year. That in itself should be enough. But when he's getting 50 million a year, the extra parking spaces, the extra lockers, the office to himself, all the media attention, it, he can't. How could he possibly relate to these guys? How? And then on top of it, he's just like ultra super cringe. These guys are like, fuck this guy. I don't want to play for him. Who the fuck is this guy? He sucks. He literally sucks, but everyone's treating him like the king. Russ gives all that stuff up. Next year becomes a little bit more relatable, a lot less cringe. The Broncos will see themselves having a little bit more success. Obviously, you got to hire a good head coach too, but that's a completely different story. And there's a few options for that, right? I mean, Sean Payton, there's a few other guys who are like, oh, maybe, you know, I don't know. But Russell Wilson was never, ever, ever that guy for the Broncos organization. And now he's going to have to make a lot of sacrifices to change that. A lot of sacrifices. So that will do it for episode 50 of the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I appreciate you guys supporting the show. Episode 50, halfway to 100. NFL season's winding down. College football playoff this weekend. It is fixing to be an absolutely electric football weekend in a lot of different ways. Super excited for it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, I will catch you guys on episode 51. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. Want more? Follow us on social media and subscribe to Patreon for exclusive content.